Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, February 25th. 2021. This is the Mike Abadir Show, and I am Mike Abadir. Hope everybody's having a tremendous and safe week so far. I'm coming at you live from Las Vegas, Caesars Palace, the Augusta Tower, looking at some preseason or spring spring training, I should say, baseball over underlines and some Kentucky Derby futures and whatever else piques my fancy. Had my NFL PA meetings. And uh, we could talk a little bit about what came about from it. Made a little bit of headlines today because of uh, our fearless leader, DeMaurice Smith, came out and said that us as agents, when it comes to free agency, should be uh, colluding with the owners. We'll maybe get into that a little bit later on. Gino will be joining us very shortly here. He will be plugging in and ready to go. So a couple quick things about today's show. Let's set the table. We're going to be doing a National League East MLB preview, probably one of the more competitive divisions in baseball. And I'm going to tell you why the two best hitters in the NL hail from the NL East. We'll also talk a little bit about the quarterback carousel. Didn't think that this name would be added onto the list, but Russell Wilson has, rumor has it, has uh, ended up on the uh, quarterback carousel list. He's one of uh, the few quarterbacks that um, possibly wants out, along with uh, Deshaun Watson, of course. That one made headlines uh, earlier this month or late last month. And then there are some guys who are kind of like in that in-between stage of, what is my future here? Like Dak Dak Prescott, as an example. They didn't give him the long-term deal last year. He played his butt off in the first few weeks of the season. I mean, he was just lighting up the scoreboard. Remember those comebacks down by like 31 and Dax bringing them back? Game's over, but he's bringing them back and chipping away and chipping away. And then they tie it up and go to overtime. I mean, Dak really was what everybody hoped he would be and even more so at the beginning part of the season. And then boom, his season's over, has a nasty injury. And here we are. Do the Cowboys now give him a long-term deal post-injury? Do they do the right thing and get him paid like the way he should have been paid, like the way he was promised to get paid? Or are they going to get a little bit nasty with him and put that unenviable franchise tag on him? And for those who are familiar with the term but not necessarily familiar with the details – In short, it's a way to lock up one of your top talented players for a year, giving him a top five contract at his position without giving him the commitment of a long-term contract. So it's kind of one of those things where at the surface it looks, hey, that's not so bad. But when you're talking about a quarterback, You kind of want to give him the keys to the kingdom and not look back. You want to give him that long-term deal so that everybody knows this is our guy this year. This is our guy next year. This is the face of our franchise. 
And when it comes to Dak Prescott, you know, I'm not sure that we are uh, anywhere near that right now. We'll see what Jerry Jones decides to do. Here's the one thing that I'll tell you. Keep this in the back of your mind. Jerry Jones and the Cowboys feel like they could scout quarterbacks and that they could bring in and develop quarterbacks. They haven't used a first-round pick on a quarterback for a while. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. Troy Aikman is the one that comes to mind. But even quarterbacks that they've drafted since then, like Drew Henson, he was a middle-round guy because he wasn't sure if he was going to play for the Yankees or football. And then he sort of committed for football after Michigan. And then Tony Romo, of course, he wasn't drafted at all. He was an undrafted free agent from Eastern Illinois. So, uh, and then fast forward to Dak Prescott, he was not a first-round draft pick. So the Cowboys feel like they can scout talent, find the, the hidden gems out there and develop them. I don't know if they're eyeing somebody for this upcoming draft or not, but we'll talk a little bit more about that as well as the other quarterbacks around the league that are in flux. I know I've mentioned it a few times over the last couple of weeks and we've talked about it. About half the teams in the league need to figure out who is their quarterback for the future. I don't remember a time in my lifetime where half the league was unsure or quarterback less uh, six months before the start of an upcoming season. So that's going to make for a very, very wild offseason. It's going to make for a wild period of free agency. And it's going to make for a really, really exciting lead up up until the NFL draft. So... I've set the table for you. Uh, if you have any comments or anything today, the best way to reach us is going to be via Twitter. At Mike Abadir is, our hand, is my handle. It's me, Gino B, is Gino's handle. We'd love to hear from you guys, whether it be live or during the week for those who listen on demand. So with that said, let's get to it. Let's start talking NL East baseball. So, with all due respect to the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers and the fine players that hail from Los Angeles, namely Mookie Betts and, of course, Cody Bellinger, maybe even Seeker as well, but definitely Betts at the top of the list and probably Bellinger, very short list afterwards, the best players hitting-wise in the National League are not from the NL West. Like I said, with all due respect to Betts, I'm the biggest Mookie Betts fan you'll find that isn't a Dodgers fan out there, outside of maybe a few other loyal Red Sox nuts like I am. But the best hitters come from the NL East. Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr., in my mind, those are the two best hitters in the National League. At the very least, let's just say my comments are shifted more towards 2021. Like after the season's over, when Gino and I are talking, and I'm going to ask him this question in a second here. When we're looking at this season and looking back at 2021, yes, of course, Bell, uh, Bellinger and Betts, they're going to get theirs. They're going to be, a, you know, top five, top 10 MVP consideration type guys. No, no disrespect to them. No doubt about that. Betts is in the conversation every year. Top two, top three guys. But I think when we look back after the 20, 2021 season, we're going to say that the two best hitters in the National League hail from the NL East, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., the Nationals, 
and the Braves. Gino, what's up, buddy? What do, what do you think about uh, – did I make a controversial comment? Uh, you are you insulted as a Dodger fan? No, it's, it's, do you think it's reasonable? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's not, it's not controversial, I don't think. It's just – it's one of those things where we don't know – Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna Jr. quite well enough on the national stage yet um, for that to be something that I think a lot of people would agree with or something that a lot of people would um, would get behind. But it's not it's not like an absurd comment. Like both of those, that's what that's the, the thing about baseball. It's like both of those guys have all the tools, and they are like if they were. They could absolutely have better seasons. They could stack better numbers. They could have a better batting average. They could have a better on-base percentage. They could, they could do everything, right? I think for the both of them, it just comes down to um, now doing it consistently five, six, seven times in a row, staying healthy. And it it, it doesn't matter quite as much in baseball because – there's so many variables that go into winning and losing, but whether it's fair or not, we know Mookie bets a lot more right now than we did five years ago. And why? Because he's won two titles, right? You used to talk about Mookie bets and how awesome he was, but until you won a world series and, and people saw him do it in the playoffs and they saw him do it with the Dodgers again. And it reminded everyone, even in the, even in the year after they won the World Series, Boston, when Mookie was still fine, he was sort of forgotten about because Boston was not good. So it is kind of weird how it happens at baseball. We've talked about it, how like with relievers and stuff, you can have a good year and a bad year. With the with the really, really good players, it's not quite as uh, volatile. Um, but some, some guys it is, like Cody Bellinger sort of sort of has like a year on, year off, year on, year off pattern. Sure. And maybe maybe Seager as well, but that might, probably is more because of injury than anything else. Yeah, that's true with Seager. You know, let me say something, Gino, because you're making a lot of really good points. I want to add one more thing to the uh, bets, in favor of bets, right? If I was uh, making an argument about Mookie Betts, and I, and I am making an argument for Mookie Betts, the thing that I'm super impressed with at this point, now that he's, uh, I don't know, how long has he been in the league? Seven years now, whatever it is, right? Is that he's been a dominating player in two leagues and that cannot be understated. I can't tell you how many guys, for all the baseball fans out there, look it up for mega free agents that switch leagues and how many of them you see a drop off in their numbers. They don't know the pitchers. They don't know the stadiums. They, and, and sure, there's an league play now, so there's a little bit more familiarity than, let's just say, 20 years ago. But nonetheless, a whole new set of pitchers, new opponents, getting a feel for a new team. Bets it was seamless. He, it was like he was playing in the NL the whole the, the previous six years. It was like he's been playing with the Dodgers forever. Yes, yes. He just came right in. They loved him. Like he said, the first day in spring training, or like right off the bat, the first few days, he was giving a speech and talking. Yeah, about they were what calling he, him a team leader already. Like he was like ta- saying what he's expecting from everyone else and what he wants them to expect from him. Like, hey, I'm going to ask all of you to do this, but I'm only asking you because I'm going to do more. Right. And and that's what I expect from you is to do at least this much. And you think it's a coincidence that the Dodgers won last year? The Dodgers have had, had, had really talented teams for a while, but it's sometimes just something like a, a little bit extra. You know, there are there, you could pinpoint a lot of different things. The Absolutely. Kershaw was better in the play. All these things. But it all comes down to, I think. The, the vibe, the comfortability, you've got this guy out there 
not only that you know is going to hit 300 and get on base a bunch, but he's going to make incredible plays. How many plays did he make in the playoffs alone that were game changing, momentum shifting, run score, run saving plays? Like Man, the Braves may have pulled off the upset if uh, if the, the Dodgers didn't have bets. They were down three one. The bets wasn't there. The Braves very well could have won that series. But here's the other thing, you know, too. Keep in mind, if any writer out there used the truest and most pure definition of MVP, like a true most valuable player, presumably the guy that means the most to get you wins, right? To get you a championship is the goal. One could say you have the Dodgers team that couldn't get over the final hump uh, for several years. You plug this guy in, they win the World Series. He's got an MVP-type season. I would have no problem at all if somebody had voted him MVP, even if somebody had a little bit of better numbers. Because if you look at the true MVP analysis, and I think that's kind of what naysayers say about Trout, is he puts up the numbers, but they're not winning. Um, And some of those things aren't your fault, and some of those things aren't solely because of you either. Kind of like you mentioned, like Kershaw was lights out and so on and so forth. But... He was an MVP in my mind. But let's bring it back to the NL East, though. And I get what you're saying in terms of the national exposure not quite there yet for some of those guys. Yeah, they've now been in the playoffs. Tools-wise, you're right. Like, if if we're just talking about natural ability, like, Mookie's great. Cody Bellinger's great. Trout is great. Like, those guys are all great. But the reason, like, the thing that makes them and kind of takes, like, some of them to the next level is the the work right the continue to work on your some of your weaknesses and to continue to get better and to improve each and every year get bigger get stronger uh, all those things if we're just talking about like naturally talented gifted players and you were making a list these two guys would be on any top five list as far as just their god-given ability and so now it's getting on that national stage, and every year, okay, now you can hit the hell out of the ball, you can do this, can you become more disciplined at the plate, right? Uh, Acuna's had, I guess, some issues, I, I remember, uh, where he didn't run a ball out or two. You know, Can you become more of a leader now? Can you make sure you take every single game very seriously? I think those are the kind of things that we see in baseball that differentiate someone like Mookie from someone else because in the middle of May when... Um, you're on a game that nobody's watching and nobody cares about. And it's like the fourth inning and you're down four nothing and you can just pack it in. He doesn't do that. And so can these guys become those type of players if they can in the next this year? Like, do they take the step and progress? They are on the list of players that you would you would pick as the next guys. No doubt about it. And here's the thing. Baseball is kind of an easy sport to kind of. Formulate your opinion and and cheat in doing so. And what I mean by that is you look at the stat sheet, you watch SportsCenter, you see who makes the crazy diving plays, who's got a cannon of an arm from an outfield, who hits the game-tying or game-winning home run or the stolen base in the critical spot. Formulate your opinions like that. There's It's another thing, though, to let's just say be a beat writer, follow the team on a pitch-by-pitch pitch basis, and then there's something in between. I would say when it comes to those two players, especially Juan Soto. I'm probably kind of in the in-between category because I had him on my NL-only fantasy team last year. So um, I got an alert anytime that Juan Soto was up to plate, up to bat, and I probably watched, 
I'd say 70% of his at-bats last year. And that's not very many anyways, because if you remember, he was on the COVID list. I don't know if he had it or had exposure around it or whatever the case may be. So he didn't come in until, you know, a couple of weeks into the season. And I remember in game number one, you know, and I was watching this guy, I had to go back and look. I'm like, how old is this guy again? Is he what, 19, 20? Yeah. This guy was so mature at the plate. He was, his eye is phenomenal. This this is this is a player that's not going to strike out a lot. He's going to draw some walks. He's not going to be fooled, swing at bad pitches, and he's going to hit the cover off the ball when uh, when he gets his pitch. And when he doesn't, he knows how to go the other way with it. He's a very mature hitter. So part of my statement slash prediction is after this 2021 season, which assumes another that he's spring going training, to continue that. Yeah, another spring training, another year of growth, et cetera. Because his guy, trajectory already, yes, naturally, he's more is, of a batting title. Like, go back and look at Don Mattingly's stats. This guy was at his peak; he was like three forty-three, yeah, thirty-five home runs, fifty home runs. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. He's, he's Acuna. Gonna like, he's going to be like a forty-forty guy every year. Yeah, Acuna is a little more flashy. Yes, than than Soto is yes. like steady. Right, like Soto could be the guy that we're talking about—that kind of Mookie Betts-ish, Mike Trout-ish, steady. Whereas um, Acuna is, to me, kind of and reminds me a little more of Tatis, and not that or or ish, um, and and not that they're like because Tatis is actually very steady. Like he is like runs out every runs hard every play and is that kind of player. Um, But they're they're a little like flashier in general overall with the way they play. I think that's very well said. Kind of funny, by the way, in last week's guest, we were talking about uh, Tatis after he got his big con- uh, contract extension or, you know, this big 10-year deal or whatever it was. It was kind of funny because we were talking a little bit about the Padres and about Machado and about Tatis and and that they're both kind of flashy, very, very exciting players. But it is worth noting that Tatis is the type of guy who will run hard in every play. Manny Machado is the type of guy who will take some plays off. And it's funny that you could both, you know, both guys can be superstars. Both guys can be at the end of the year, you know, up there statistically speaking and, and thought of as MVP candidates, et cetera. But they're two very different players from a mentality perspective. And I think that's kind of why Machado has some people that kind of hate on him. And that's kind of why universally it seems at least that Tatis is very well liked by the public at large. I'll tell you, it is so damn frustrating when you're when Machado's on your team and you're rooting yeah, for you him. He's like, for a little bit, man. He's like a half of a step short of like running the ball out at first, and he just just dogging it the whole way down there. That's the most frustrating part. And then you, get the, but what he ends up doing is like the moment when you're completely like the most pissed off at him, when you're about to completely just be, I'm fed up with this guy. He'll go and hit like back to back home runs. Like he yeah. just he does that. He like completely is like a total roller coaster. So you like I don't think I think the way they're building their team with putting Tatis with him, I, I think is a good sort of a, a marriage, quote unquote, because you I don't you you don't want him to necessarily be your true leader. I don't think that would be good for a team to want to necess- to want to take the the cues their cues from him. Um, he, he, you can be better off with a situation where you're just like, ah, let's let Manny be Manny, you know, and maybe the team can sort of take on the approach more like Tatis. Yeah. And that's probably a good 
you know, maybe one of the reasons perhaps that they brought in some uh, good veteran leaders on the pitching side, guys that have been there, guys that have been in very, very clutch, crucial situations, deep postseason runs, et cetera. So you Darvish and uh, uh, Clevenger and who is escaping Snell. me? I know who is that? Snell. Snell. There you go. Yeah. So these guys are, you know, have very deep postseason experience, et cetera. They might not be that down with, um, pitching with somebody behind them kind of taking a last lackadaisical approach, you know, to, uh, fielding to getting another run, uh, or, or not because didn't run something out or because he thought there was two outs or things of that nature. Unfortunately, I think that a lot of fans of opposing teams are going to remember him by two distinct plays. One is, uh, some feel that he ruined the tail end of Dustin Pedroia's career. And uh, in that incident, when he was at the Dodgers against the Brewers in the playoffs uh, down the first baseline. So I think those are two things that um, he probably is going to need to, you know, atone for. I don't know if that's the right word, but make people forget by probably having like a, like a, a, you know, a first or second round in the playoffs where, you know, he's really mashing, he's bashing, he's in 450, you know, four home runs in a season, uh, in a series that, you know, winning a game, that type of thing. Because right now I still think that that reputation of being kind of a slacker, kind of a showboat hot dog. And, uh, and those two incidents, I think they kind of mar him a little bit, Gino, but I know we're up against our first commercial break. Why don't we take it right now? And then maybe we could dig in a little bit on the teams in the NL East. Stay with us. We will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. You can kind of feel uh, the the sports seasons shifting a little bit too, right? Because it's getting a little warmer now. Last week, everyone uh, around the country, I mean, were decimated by the weather in places that normally don't get that kind of weather. Uh, we, we don't deal with that too much out here in Southern California or a whole bunch on the West Coast. But right now, those same people who were freezing last week, it's like 70 degrees there now. And it's 75 degrees out here. You can kind of feel it becoming into the springish time with baseball season on on the horizon and mike i think starting sunday we will have baseball games now every week between now like every sunday there's baseball you know and all week long between now and what october so it's funny when it changes like that and you can yeah. we can sort of feel it with the way the weather has been. And it's like, hey, yeah, we're moving from football's kind of done. We're moving into baseball coming soon. Uh, we've got the uh, March Madness and the, the college yep. basketball tournament yep. coming up. And in, some, in a few uh, some derby preps derby coming up. Preps, too. You can kind of feel them. And like basketball, we're coming up on the all-star break. It's gonna, The basketball season sort of is going to feel a little different this year, though, because of the schedule that it's on. Like this, the basketball season started – late and isn't going to finish until the middle of May. The playoffs don't start till May the 22nd. So that at that point, we're already usually, you know, two rounds deep into the playoffs. So for them, it's going to be a little bit different, but it, it does. We can kind of feel it with the way uh, with the way things are. And I, I'm, I'm getting pumped now for uh, for baseball season again, because it you start talking about it. But like literally there, there are going to be games this weekend. Yeah, and for those who have MLB Network, you're probably going to be getting get a lot of uh, look-ins, and a lot of probably like Yankee games. <laughs> they, they they usually televise a lot of Yankees spring training games, maybe a few Red Sox and Cubs as well. Probably some Dodger ones this year, uh, maybe even some split squad games on your local you know, uh, team affiliate. And, um, and, 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 and I, I can't get enough. Uh, I love it. If you're a diehard fantasy baseball guy, you probably want to check in to see who are some of the rookies that are performing well, who are some of the dark horse guys that are going to make the roster. We'll talk a little bit of fantasy this year. I think uh, Gino and I may be possibly in the same league this year. We haven't done that before. We've we've always done football. This may be the first time we're competing baseball-wise, too. So maybe we'll do a little bit more features on the baseball stuff, maybe even some fan duel stuff, uh, one day type contests and that type of thing. But Gino last year, the surprise team, maybe in all of baseball, but certainly in the NL East was the Marlins. I mean, this is a team, them and the Orioles were two teams that were written off before the season started. Uh, I think even when we did our preview show, we struggled to even come up with you know, you know, that game of say something positive about this yeah. horse or yeah. about this team or, yeah. you know, it was hard. It was, it was tough. It was not easy to do so. And I think a lot of people down in South Florida probably had no idea what Derek Jeter's vision was and whether even he had a vision at all. No, right. right? Like, was, does, he, guy, he does this guy face. know what he's doing? Yeah. He just seems to get rid of the best players 
possibly in the league. I mean, I'm talking about MVPs and getting back unknowns, not even like top level prospects. But somehow, some way, man, looks to me like he does know he does have an eye for talent. He does know what he's doing because this is a team on the rise. They went out and they were sellers last or they were buyers last year. They went out and traded for Starling Marte. You know, we yeah. could you have could you have imagined saying that they were going to be a team that was playing well and they wanted to improve their chances to make the playoffs and then they went out. Chance. You would have robbed me blind if you wanted to make a wager on that. If if you I know a lot of people would not have suggested that they were going to win in the playoffs. Uh, maybe if you were listening to Mike Abadier when we previewed here or on uh, that's what G said podcast, you might have thought so, but they were sort of the reason they kind of got uh they, they might have been like the end of the Cubs. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. So, going into this year, what kind of chances do you give them? And look, we're going to we're going to for our listeners out there, we're going to preview each division Every week, so this week NL East, next week NL Central, you know, we'll go all the way through the divisions leading up to maybe a week or two before opening day, and then we'll bring it all together and do an actual preview show, which will be consolidated, but include our picks, because we're still, we're in February, we're not even in March yet, and a lot's going to change, there's still some free agents on the market, injuries are going to happen, etc. So we're going to do kind of just a, a quick, you know, analysis of each division along the way. And leading it off is going to be the NL East and and the Miami Marlins. I think this team is going to compete, but I think the rest of the division got better, Gino. Yeah, and that's what what worries me a little bit, too, is that they were the perfect type of team in a shortened pandemic season where they got kind of hot early and then they just all bought in to the fact that Hey, you know what? We've got some okay pitching. We actually brought in a couple veterans here. It's like it's like the Indians in the major league where they look around and all the fans are like, "Hey, we don't suck." You know, it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's like that. They had that moment, and and you can do that in a shortened season, right? We see teams all all the time every year play one good half of the year, but then for whatever reason, an injury or two, or they just kind of regress to the mean a little bit. That's my concern with them. I think they kind of caught lightning in a bottle last year, and I think they took advantage of what what we were sort of talking about when we previewed this shortened season is that there wasn't going to be as much parity between teams. Like Even the, the worst of the teams weren't going to be so far out of it because of the, the amount of games and, and how everything was shorter. So the margin for error, like it, it was going to be harder for actually a lot of the better teams to – like exude their dominance so Miami was one of those teams that took great advantage of uh, the situation they were in last year I think I don't think they're going to be like a miserable team because I actually like like three of their pitchers I think if you have a couple solid starting pitchers in in a national league situation where you're still going to be facing a pitcher uh in, in a lot of lineups and not having to go through an extra hitter I think so, so the be- three, let me interrupt you. So the three, I'm guessing it's Alcantara, Sixto, who's a big prospect, and either Pablo Lopez or Elizier Hernandez. 
Yeah, kind of like a half of both of them, to be honest. You know, okay. like I, I think they're both, like I like both Sixto and Sandy quite a bit. Sixto is very can be very very good, and I yes. think both Pablo and Alicia are like sort of fine for what you need. They're like a back, like middle to the back end of rotation guys. So sure. I think I think they've got like three pretty decent starters, uh, or like a, a three starter situation. They're okay, and they're. You know their their bullpen is actually a little bit better. They got a couple Dodger guys, Yimi and uh, Floro, who should help them out. Just kind of eat innings there. Guys that have actually pitched in, in big games before. Um, and we talked about some of the the veterans they were able to bring in last year with uh, Aguilar, uh, with Dickerson, and then they made the move for Marte. Duvall's in the mix, so they've got players. Right. Some years that we've looked at the Marlins team, it was like some years when you look at the Orioles and you're you're going. I mean, I'm, I'm a baseball fan, and I can only name three or four of these guys. You know, like, I play fantasy baseball, and I'm supposed to know this stuff, and I don't know a lot of these players. It doesn't feel like that with this team. I just completely agree with what you said. They, It feels like the rest of the division got a little bit better, and they might have been able to sort of take advantage of a season that was really ripe for a team like them to take advantage of last year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, a quick fantasy nugget before we move on. If you're looking kind of for an under-the-radar player, especially if you're in a either an NL-only league or maybe at a daily fantasy lineup and you need kind of a, you know, you're up against it salary cap-wise, you need kind of a cheap guy, uh, inexpensive guy to insert into your lineup that might be able to get you some inexpensive or cheap steals. John Birdie is a decent second baseman. Uh he he's he's young, he's fast, and uh, he's somebody that I think is going to have a pretty nice season from the Miami Marlins. He's got a little bit of protection in that lineup. Like you said, they brought in Aguilar, former All-Star, a guy that you and I were high on before many others were with the Brewers. And then he kind of tailed off and it's kind of uh, gone to a couple teams since then. They also have a couple of uh, prospects. One... I would say no longer is a prospect. Can't be labeled that because he's had plenty of time to prove himself. And that's the big boy, Lewis Brinson. And uh, he's he's been labeled, you know, the top player in the Brewers organization and now the Marlins organization. But he's been up in the bigs like three times and hasn't done it yet. Sometimes it takes a little while for you to kind of get that light bulb to turn on. But the other guy is uh, Jazz Chisholm. And he was a part of that big trade that happened with uh, Arizona um, in the middle of last year when, as you mentioned, they became buyers and uh, he came over with uh, Starling Marte. So some some potential fantasy nuggets, inexpensive guys there. Where, uh, what, where do you want to shift to next? Um, yeah, well, so I, I or think... Or do you want to uh, wrap it up with the Marlins? Yeah. You have more to say. Let's keep no. Let's keep. We'll, we'll continue in the NL East, I guess. Uh, if, before I think we got a couple of minutes before we hit uh, our, our next break. But the the one team I I'd imagine the fans are just a little bit sort of disappointed with the way things went down and a little frustrated with some of their off season would would be the Mets who yes. felt like they were going to be all in on a lot of the free agents and um, they're going to be a better team, no doubt. Like they added to, but. The the Bauer stuff, I think feel it feels like it's got to leave a real sour taste in their mouth. The Bauer thing, and then and then also you had uh, some uh, internal front office turmoil there as yeah. well. Um, you know, so I think this 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 last month has been very bad for the New York baseball Mets. Uh, just just not a good month whatsoever. Yeah, you know, yeah. They had Lindor, to relieve a high front office awesome. guy from. Yeah, I mean just. Just, just no, no good. Now, with that said, um, I think Marcus Stroman is a little bit overrated. Seems like a great guy. 
I think he's a little bit overrated personally. Same thing with Taiwan Walker. Uh, Walker, at least, uh, you know, uh, has the injury thing to sort of blame. But I mean, this guy was a top prospect with Seattle. He had an opportunity uh, with Arizona. And now he's with the Mets. Uh, this team is truly about Jacob deGrom. Carlos Carrasco is a great story. Um, hopefully he uh, is is healthy and safe and able to play and, de- and is, makes the decision to play and not an opt-out guy. We we saw an opt-out guy out of Colorado once again get an opt-out. Um, so I don't know the, the, the fresh list yet. And then the other guy to keep uh, tabs on is their stud what former stud closer Edwin Diaz see if he could get that magic like back which version are of you you know you talk about relievers he's been one of the more volatile over a two or three year span where a couple of years ago he had like one of the best reliever seasons ever and it's so funny it's like how do you go from being so good to just so bad but that's what happens in baseball especially with these relievers you get put in a situation sometimes and you, you blow a game or two and then it gets in your head and all of a sudden that turns into four or five and now your numbers are just inflated you're it, they're blown up you keep losing games uh they they they've got they it's just so funny like they're one of those teams where nothing with them would surprise me if you told no. me if you told me that like, i don't think they're going to be the best team in baseball or anything but if you told me they were towards the top of the division and pete alonzo's having a really good year and lindor is really good and guys like dominic smith or nemo you know like can show some of their um their pedigree you know uh conforto is another one like so they've, they've got enough obviously Degrom can carry you but with them it's it's recently been okay what else after Degrom? I mean, doesn't it just seem like yesterday where it was like DeGrom and Syndergaard and these awesome, it felt like we were going to have these awesome Mets pitching rotations forever when they beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. And then it just didn't like, didn't unfold that way. Yeah. I mean, they they were a team that I thought could be a world series team because of that pitching staff. And, uh, you know, that, that middle part of that lineup with Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil and, uh, one guy you already mentioned, we were talking about the guys that they did not get, but one, one guy that they did land is Francisco Lindor seems to be a fan favorite league wide. Everybody talks about his smile, his style of play, you know, very friendly, uh, hardworking type of player, fun guy, you know, maybe the NLs uh, now the NLs version, uh, well, he was with the Indians, obviously, for a long time. He was the AL's version of kind of uh, Tatis. Just he plays in, in Cleveland, probably gets lost in the shuffle. But this guy is really, really a fantastic player. So that's a pretty good core there uh, within their lineup. Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, uh, J.D. Davis got some pop. Dominic Smith turned it up big time last year. Um, and then and then they picked up Jonathan Villar, who could steal you some bases. He could hit for average. I know he's had a little bit of a, of a tail off uh, in the last couple of years. And then of course, Conforto and, and Nimmo. So this lineup can produce some runs, but I agree with you, Gino beyond the Grom. It's a big question mark. It, the, the one, the two divisions that I'm always like the most interested in, uh, you know, are, are generally the NL East and the NL central. It just feels like there are like a lot of really interesting like teams and fan bases there. Um, so those are the two that every year it seems like the last few years that we've been doing the show, I'm always the most uh, curious about what's going to happen because you could, I think in both of those divisions each year, you could sort of tell me that, you know, any of these four teams could stack up this way. And I'd believe you. Yeah, no, no, not about it. So with that said, let's, uh, let's take a quick commercial break 
The teams that we're left with, obviously, are the uh, the Nats, the Braves, and the enigmatic Phillies. We'll have a few words about them. Talk a little baseball, uh, uh, quarterback carousel in the NFL uh, in the last segment. Stay with us. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. We were sort of talking during the break a little bit about the Phillies as we were looking at the, their team this year. And they're not a, a really different looking team than they were last year. Their big moves were just bringing back Real Muto, uh, you know, and their, and their pitching staff will um, consist of Nola, Wheeler and Eflin. So, I mean, is, is, is that enough? Are, are we going to get a Bryce Harper MVP campaign that they paid for? I mean, you look at their lineup. And it's the same type of thing. If they stay healthy, when you, if, if you've got Real Muto, Hoskins, Segura, Gregorius, McCutcheon, who, you know, you don't need McCutcheon stuff from him. You just need him to be a serviceable guy. And then you got Harper. Like, that's a that, that's still a very good lineup. Do, but do they have the combination of enough from that and the pitching? No, you know, I think they're a little bit handcuffed, you know. I think two moves that they made that I don't know if they would make if they could go back in time are the big the big money deal that they gave Harper. It just seems like that was so long ago that he was right. considered the most exciting player in the National League. It seems like so many guys since then have kind of leapfrogged him. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not. I don't know what this, what story war suggests. That's just my perception. The other deal that handcuffed him that's not going to get a lot of play and I remember it well because it happened the a day when, um, or a morning when uh, uh, Eno Saris was on with us. They gave a lot of money to a player who was unproven straight out of the minors. It was Scott Kingery. 
And it's interesting. He's middle infielder, shortstop, second baseman type player. And and since then, you know, they brought in Gregorius and Gene Segura after they paid this guy a lot of money. It's it's kind of it's it's kind of mind boggling to me. Um, but but I think those two deals have kind of handcuffed them a little bit in terms of going back into the market, bringing guys in. One other player that um, I am high on that they brought up through their farm system is Alec Baum, third baseman. This guy is a bomb hitter. <laughs> uh, I had to say it. This guy's a good hitter. This guy, he's a line drive hitter, could get you a lot of doubles. He's one of those kind of, uh, like I said, dark horse, cheapy kind of fantasy guys that you players out there may want to take a look at. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of mixed mixed feelings on the Phillies. Like, I'm not, not in love with them, but not um, – I mean, that's sort of why I said I love this division, and uh, I, I like kind of handicapping these divisions because uh, I think you can make many cases for and uh, and against. And I think if we had to pick the most likely winner of the division, uh, the division I think, and the team that we probably assume will be um, battling for the top of the division for the foreseeable future is is probably the most talented team in the division, the uh, the Atlanta Braves, as far as the top, top-tier talent and the top of the line. I think uh, that that's hands down when you talk about Freeman, Albies. Uh, you mentioned Acuna, Ozuna, who had an awesome year last year, and you put those guys in the middle of any lineup, they're going to be very good. They improved their bullpen last year um they also went out and got charlie morton to add to their pitching staff to put along with freed soroka towards the top that's not a bad one two three add a little bit more depth they have ian anderson drew smiley in the mix and um i think they're a pretty steady solid baseball team ian anderson former first round draft pick i always like to keep an eye on that because typically speaking First-round draft picks that are pitchers in baseball either can't get out of the minors or get to the majors and do pretty well. Those are generalities. But typically, you're either going to just suffer in the minors and not make it out of there. But if you get to the majors, it means you have major league abilities. You've proven it in the minors. They've given him some innings. He even had some innings in the playoffs. I would expect great improvement from Ian Anderson I'm sure uh, when I run some analytics on it, he's going to be one of those guys that has tremendous value, a fourth starter that maybe could give you third or maybe even second of the rotation type performance this year. But like you said, it's that core. Freeman, Albies, uh, Azuna, Acuna, and some complementary pieces like Dansby Swanson. Well, he's another guy that was a really pick. high, yeah, really highly regarded player that isn't it amazing how once you sort of get into a position in a situation where the pressure isn't all on you anymore, yep. right? Because he doesn't have to be hitting third in this lineup. He can just exactly. be a guy and play really good defense and, you know, just get on base and, and just play baseball and not have to carry the team and be that first round pick because you've got Acuna and Albies and Freeman and uh, Azuna to take a lot of the load. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And then they have a, a prospect that they brought up last year, started off with a bang, kind of cooled off a little bit, but now he's got some major league experience under his belt, and that's Austin Riley at third Stone base. Cold, Steve Austin as well as Riley. Christian Pache, who is supposed to be you know, a, a dynamite center fielder as well. And then we've got some pretty nice veterans uh, to give them some depth. They brought in Jake Lamb. Johan Camargo last year was was pretty serviceable, had, had a pretty good stretch. And uh, Jason Kipnis, not sure where he was last year, if he was with the Indians or that was the year before. Uh, William Contreras is a backup catcher. So this team has some depth. Oh, and 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 Ciarte, he could hit for average. He could steal you some bases. So this team is pretty deep offensively. Pitching, I'm a little bit concerned. I don't know when Mike Soraka is coming back. He had that nasty Achilles injury last year. Uh, Freed has had a couple of pretty nice seasons back-to-back. You mentioned Charlie Morton. And uh, I, I mentioned Ian Anderson for a quick second. I think they are the division winner, Gino. I think they're going to put up a ton of runs. Yeah, they're, they're that again pitching wise. Do they have the depth? We'll see. But they're going to be you know four or five runs a game, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, I, I I always like the uh, the East, and and we'll maybe talk some Central next week. But I know we don't have too much time left, and we wanted to talk a little football because. It seems like that quarterback carousel is yeah. going to keep let moving. Me, let me, uh, Gino, let me interrupt you for a quick second. Uh, let's have a quick word about the Nationals. Sure. Oh, oh, okay. We didn't talk too much about them, did we? Yeah. Soto. We just talked Soto more, we just more talked so than the Soto, um, and, and I think they're always worth talking about. They're in the conversation because they've got Scherzer and Strasburg at the top of the order. Patrick Corbin has been a very underrated player. And the free agent that they brought in, I don't know how much he has in the tank, but it seems like every time he's written off, he comes back and has 16, 17 wins, and that's John Lester. So I think this team has the best rotation in the division. Uh, Offensively, they brought in Josh Bell, first baseman, who was an all-star with the Pirates, cooled off a little bit last year. Uh, And and then guys like Starlin Castro, serviceable, not going to be an all-star type player. Carter Kaiboom has been a big prospect for this for a long time. I'm kind of uh, uh, iffy about him. Kyle Schwarber is too low of a batting average. Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman are clearly the best three offensive players on this team. If Josh Bell can get it back together like he was, Victor Robles can play it, can man a good center field and uh, hit for a little bit of power, steal you some bases. Um, this team could be a playoff contender, probably second behind the Braves, unless Scherzer and Strasburg are healthy and really carry this team. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I kind of put them in the same with the Mets and with the uh, the Phillies. It's like, I, you could you could tell me anything that happened with this team and it wouldn't shock me because their pitching is so good, they could beat anyone. But if Scherzer or Strasburg doesn't hold up, because remember, Strasburg's had a couple of good years now, in particular, that World Series here. But there have been a lot of years where he kind of hasn't been there when they needed him. Um, Corbin in the mix is great. Uh, they get a little more depth there with Lester. And you've talked about some of the pieces they added. Josh Bell could be a sneaky one there. They did. They do get a little um, bullpen help, which is something they've needed through the years. They have Brad Hand, so that could uh, also be a you know big help for them too. Again, just a super talented team. And if they could be led by Soto and Turner... And, you know, those are the guys like leading you and consistently day in, day out. This could be a, a playoff baseball team, no doubt about it. Um, but I think they're all feels like to me, 
the it's the Braves. Then I kind of have the other three teams almost right next to each other. And then I think the Marlins are still a little behind all of them. I completely agree with you. So that's the NL East wrap for today. We'll talk a little base, more baseball with NL Central next week. Quarterback carousel. We wanted to get to that. Russell Wilson. What do you make? Are these rumors? Is this serious? I saw his agent came out and made a statement. Um, supposedly, he's got four teams. The Raiders being one of them, by the yeah. way. Yeah, Cowboys, uh, Saints, he'd be Raiders, willing to accept a trade too. Yeah, Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, Bears. He's 32 years old. He's apparently expressing frustration um, over all the hits that he's taken, and um, and he wants to have more of a say in their personnel decisions. You know, it seems a little weird because we don't think of, of Wilson as that kind of a guy, and we feel like this is a team that really has been built around him for a while. But I can understand some of his frustrations. I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, a little bit surprised that we're hearing them publicly like this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same, same as you. I, I'm very surprised. Seems like he, he's kind of Pete Carroll's boy. <laughs> you know, he's his guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know. It's, and you, you felt that because Carroll always sided with him and not the defensive players. It seemed like it doesn't matter if you're a Pro Bowl or the defensive side, you're dispensable. Okay, you, you're, you're disgruntled here. Go off elsewhere. Go off elsewhere, Richard Sherman or whomever else. You know, But we're going to make our guy, Russell Wilson, happy. Something must have happened. Um, I, I, I would hate to speculate, but I, I do find it fascinating. It had to be big in order for it to get public like this. So yeah. now this puts him in the same category as Deshaun Watson, right? Top five quarterback in the league that wants out or potentially wants out. Very fascinating in terms of the ripple effect for the rest of the QBs around the NFL, the rest of the teams around the NFL who are looking to upgrade their quarterback. Do you trade for picks? Do you trade for one of these guys? That's going to be the big question. And and then with Dak Prescott, uh, I think they're going to end up franchising tag- tagging him, uh, which he will absolutely hate. He'll get paid like a top-tier quarterback, but one season, no commitment. That's not what Jerry Jones promised he would do with Dak. It, it, it is. You, you mentioned it a few weeks ago. It's amazing how much movement we were going to expect, and we've already seen it with a few. We've already seen Stafford, Goff, flip-flop. We've already seen Wentz you know being moved and it's it's going to keep going because there are a lot of other teams that just don't feel comfortable with the with their quarterback situations um and uh we're getting really close to that group of guys like we saw rivers gone breeze gone roethlisberger who knows how much longer brady he sure looked damn good but he doesn't have much longer left so uh the one job I, i always thought it was fascinating mike like there are really in the entire world, like only like 15 ish, very capable NFL quarterbacks. I mean, honestly, there there's so many guys that play growing up and we only have a minute or so left. But how few of them can actually be like a week in, week out, really competent NFL quarterback? Not that many. It's the thinnest I ever remember the NFL being at that position. And like you mentioned, it's the end of the line for some of the uh, most successful quarterbacks in the league. Uh, so this is going to be a fantastic offseason. We'll obviously be monitoring it each step of the way. You know, we're approaching baseball, but the NFL is a year-round discussion. Gino, this hour flew by, as it typically does. That's all the time we have. We'll see what kind of uh, movement happens between now and next week. Probably not 
unless we have another disgruntled quarterback added to the list. As always, have a tremendous sports weekend, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.